Welcome to episode 24 of the um, Under Further Review podcast with Burke and Jen. I'm Burke. I'm Jen. And um, today we are going to do a bit of um, basically a bunch of sort of hot takes, short items that we like to refer to as our three minute warning, um, which we haven't talked about in a while. So to refresh the memory of those of you who've been listening to us for a while or to let the rest of you in on what the three minute warning is. Um, in Canadian football, instead of having a two-minute warning towards the end of the half, they have a three-minute warning. Um, because Canadian football just has to be that different. Right, because they also, you can't take a knee to let the clock run out in Canadian football, which I was verbally assaulted about um, at a Canadian football game when I was in college. The size of the field, or the size of the actual playing field is different. And they also have bigger balls. They have bigger balls, and their end zones are bigger too, right? I mean, they might be. a lot of things are... They have the same, they have four downs though, right? Mm-hmm. Or is that... They, yeah. Okay. Um, so... Anyway, um, our three-minute warning, morning. just a, a bunch of our hot takes on kind of uh, varied topics um, today, and I think maybe we'll start with, um, how about some Brandon Roy and some Tom Hardy, who you probably don't think have a whole lot in common, but um, they do. But they do when it comes to misreporting of uh, stories involving crimes and themselves. So uh, we talked about Tom Hardy for you know a significant amount of time last week in uh, basically calling him a superhero for running down uh, t- a few hooligans who stole a scooter and then crashed it into a Mercedes. He, you know, we talked about how he ran through gardens and over hedges and tackled them in a construction site. Um, so later that day, I think we stumbled upon an article that said that he might not have done all of the heroic things that we had just extolled for, you know, 15 minutes on our podcast. He just showed up at the end mm-hmm. after some lady <laughs> chased the kid down and stopped stopped the crime. Um, so it's, I don't know that Tom Hardy himself has spoken about any of this. Yes, or and, uh, and, her, and his team has not commented on this either. Um, but he, I mean... It is accurate that he was at the kind of end scene of the apprehension, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. um, so it's just her word against maybe other onlookers, right? Which, um, you know, I guess giving a man credit for something a woman's done is not a not an atypical uh, result in our society today, but. Um, Certainly, if uh, he didn't do what uh, is alleged that he did, he should maybe clarify on the record. Right. Although he may be taking the view that he didn't That's true. come he never, out with the story in, in the, the first, first place. place, so why does he have to deal with this? Um, and no. there might be some confusion from eyewitness accounts because... Uh, Tom Hardy and the woman involved in the actual chase have a roughly the same haircut. Yes. So maybe uh, they were blurry from behind. And I don't know that she's saying, did she, is she saying like she's the one who chased the people through like the gardens yes, and all that is. and did like flips over <laughs> things? Okay. Yeah. But she was the one who did like parkour and like chase these guys down. I mean, I have a friend who's not a superhero or a famous person who does parkour and it's pretty impressive. So mm-hmm. I guess if that's your thing, um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the so we you know so that story is sort of out there. I don't know that there's really any sort of legal um, impact of this, but we did want to sort of clarify what we discussed last week. But that leads us into the Brandon Roy story. Um, it was reported earlier this week that Brandon Roy was shot in the leg, protecting um, his family members in a random 
drive-by shooting in Compton, um, California. And it has since come out that, you know, the reporting has been kind of weird about it. There were uh, some reports alleging that um, it was a case of mistaken identity and he hadn't, in fact, been shot uh, or that they were all standing... He was actually in a car at the time of the shooting, I think, was one of the other allegations. Uh, His family members have come out and confirmed that he's been shot, whereas uh, coaches and athletes at Nathan Hale, the school where he coaches at in Seattle, say that he hadn't been shot. It's all very confusing. Um, Then it looks like there have been a lot of conversations with uh, various law enforcement officials that like Roy won't call them back so they can't confirm or deny what his involvement was. Um, there is also a sheriff's department representative from the, um, uh, I believe it's the LA County Sheriff who has said that um, the whoever the Brandon Roy is that was shot hasn't called them back. They can't confirm that it was the NBA player, but it appears to be him. Um, there's also some confusion about whether he was protecting his niece or it was just a bunch of guys standing out in front of his house where mm-hmm. he was shot. Um, I, I guess that the there's a um, story, I believe it's on uh, SB Nation's um, Portland Trailblazers blog, the uh, Blazers Edge, <laughs> that basically is sort of raising the issue of, like, why do we need to know all of this information? Like, what's... Um, at some point, even though he's a public figure, like, why why can't we just let this go? Like, who? Mm-hmm. What's the deal? He got yeah. shot. He did. Or he or didn't. He didn't. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And that's sort of the Tom story, the Tom Hardy story, from my perspective, too, which is there were these two kids who allegedly stole a scooter, crashed a Mercedes, and they were apprehended. Um, the fact that we're still talking about it and, you know, we're sort of guilty of that because but I think we need to be by virtue of what we do anyways um though we're still trying to like hash that stuff out like weeks afterwards you know I'm not sure it is necessary right right I mean I hope Brandon Roy is doing okay and whatever's if if he was if he was in fact the person who was shot um and it sounds like he's back at his job in Seattle going mm-hmm. about his business. So yeah. I wonder how he ended up in Seattle since he played in Portland and is from L.A. Um, That's totally irrelevant to what we're talking about in the podcast or anything that has to do with legal issues. But I'm... I think I had read how he ended up there, but I don't recall that at this particular moment. Maybe we'll be able to tell you before the podcast is over. So um, in any event, uh, it's uh, those two stories about weird... Um, crimes and random drawn out reporting right and it's not clear what's going to happen with the brandon roy situation kind of regardless of who got shot um if it's just a drive-by um whether they're going to be able to catch the people or um if he was actually the target of this incident um whether he's in further danger or there's going to be Mm -hmm. anything else that comes out of this but we will uh, keep an eye on the news and go from there Um, so that kind of doesn't lead us to our second story, but we needed to transition to our second story. (laughs) Um, so due to my longstanding love of European football, better known as soccer, um, you know, Neymar's tax evasion case and fraud case is probably pretty big news over in Europe and in Brazil. It's not really reported on here 
Um, but Neymar was a very highly touted youngster coming out of Brazil, playing for uh, the Santos team. But I think the biggest impact he had was in the 2014 World Cup because it took place in Brazil and he was being hailed as basically like a national hero of his in spite of the fact that he acted like a giant baby and fell down all the time, but yeah, and then and then he was also injured. So like he was injured before Brazil's semifinal match against Germany. Um, he was injured in the quarterfinal match. I can't remember who they were playing against, but I think he got like headed in his back by the opponent, and he like had fractured some vertebrae. Um, and so he was out for the rest of the tournament. And in the semifinals, if you may or may not recall. Brazil lost to Germany like seven to one. It was bad. Um, there were, yeah, it was. It was bad. <laughs> so after that World Cup, he um, he went to he joined Barcelona. You know, probably one of the biggest football teams in the world. Huge fan following. You know, team of Messi play at Camp Nou. Blah blah blah. Um, and the allegation is that the transfer fees that Barcelona play, paid to Santos and um, for the rights to Neymar... Santos is his Brazilian team? Mm-hmm. Um, were reported at the time to be around, I think, like 18 million euros or something to that effect. But in actuality, it turns out that I think that they paid way more than that. Um so a lot of that, like, you know, over 30 million euros of that was hidden. So there were tax evasion charges uh, brought against him in Brazil. He was found guilty of tax evasion, he, his family. Um, but he's also being, um, he's standing trial for fraud and corruption charges related to this transfer in Spain. So unlike American football, where um, in professional Soccer, you don't necessarily trade for players in the same way. Like you buy their rights. You buy their rights, and it's a really strange. It's a really strange system. Um, up until I think like 2013 or 2014, uh, you could have like third parties hold your rights. Well, and that's part of the problem mm-hmm. here is that there was an investment group DIS that held 40 percent of Neymar's rights at the time of the transfer. Yeah. And the allegation is that the various parties understated the transfer fee in order to defraud yeah, DIS. Yeah, yes, yes. So they, um, that, and they're the ones who are bringing, they're the ones who made the complaint, they're the ones who are bringing the charges because they got 40% of like 18 million euros instead of 40% of like 51 million euros, which is a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> it is a lot of money. Um, so there's a possibility that Neymar, if found guilty for the fraud and corruption charges in Barcelona, could be jailed for um, up to two years, if not more than two years. I think um, whoever, like DIS, is like suggesting five years. But I did read in a Guardian article that in Spain, um, any any sentences less than two years are not. It's for particularly for yeah. first-time nonviolent offenders, and that's you how you don't have to go to jail for that. Um, Lionel Messi was also mm-hmm. convicted of tax, tax evasion and didn't go to jail. Um, there is a push that Neymar not be allowed to play mm-hmm. for Barcelona. 
um, during the duration of his sentence. So yeah. I guess in get, instead of going to jail, he would just be barred from playing soccer for mm-hmm. two years. Yeah, and he is 25, and so, you know, arguably in the prime of his career, he is doing well um, at Barcelona. Barcelona and Real Madrid are currently tied atop the table at La Liga um, with maybe less than a handful of uh, matches to play. But yeah, it'll be interesting. But they, I think they're, um, because of the way that um, the transfer fee works, you can run into problems of like tax evasion and fraud very, very easily because it, payments go to various people that don't get reported. Right. And so uh, up to this point, um, Barcelona, the team has paid a 5.5 million euro fine to mm-hmm. get rid of the tax evasion problem here but um there are because dis has asserted that neymar and his parents who are also his business managers Mm -hmm. knew what was going on that's why they were pressing forward with these criminal charges against them the at the time that this was all really sort of bubbling and going down especially related to the tax evasion charges in brazil um the president of barcelona stepped down uh not the city the club so um yeah so it's I would imagine it's a pretty big deal if you are saying that you can't play for two years. In um, the prime of in, your career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, unlike football players in America, maybe the two-year rest, you know, will not really um, too detrimentally impact him because soccer players can have very lengthy careers and... Um, uh, so that might not be too terrible, but... Um, and I wonder if he could go play somewhere else. Yeah. Maybe like a another like a smaller team somewhere else. Right. Or, I mean, these people will like, I know there's a word for it, but it's escaping me right now (laughs) on loan to, you'll put a player on loan to Mm -hmm. another team. So I wonder if there's a way to, I know, you know, for example, in the NHL, um, if you're suspended, that suspension doesn't necessarily carry over to, this has been an issue with European players who will go play in the KHL, the Russian professional hockey league. The, um, Suspension won't necessarily carry forward or carry through to this other league, mm-hmm. so it gives um, players the ability to keep playing. Um, now, there's a big difference between like I play in Spain, I could go play in Italy, versus <laughs> I play in New York City, and now I'm going to go to like, like bars, <laughs> whatever the hell. So um, maybe it's less of an it's not enforced in that way because it's less likely that someone's going to up and move to Russia yeah. to circumvent a suspension in the NHL, especially since I don't know that they always get paid over there. Well, yeah, I mean, and the first thing that popped into my head when you mentioned the KHL yeah. is, like, all of the terrible airplane crashes that happened with KHL teams, right? Because they don't right. have... It's definitely not the same level of... Um, Safety. safety and service yeah. I think that the players there get it became I think a big there's kind of before the airplane crash that um, killed the team from locomotive mm-hmm. um, the during I believe it was the 2004 2005 lockout um, the a bunch of players went to like North American players went to Russia to play and a lot of them came back early because they, oh, they were didn't. just like we can't, we can't do, do this it. Um, the, you know, it's a very different culture. 
um, and just the way that the league was handled. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've had not just the plane crashes, but they've had people who, you know, have, like, heart problems that drop dead on the ice. Yeah. Because they I, don't have defibrillators. Mm-hmm. They have no way to help them. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet they don't really have a strong concussion protocol there. I suspect they do not, <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, very, I mean, it's comparing, like, La Liga and the EPL to the NHL versus the KHL is a real stretch, but... Um. <laughs> um, no, but it's it's an interesting point that you raise, and I don't think that that would necessarily bar him from national team duties, right? So he could definitely sure. play for Brazil, and I don't know... Like, how enforceable would a Spanish court order be yeah, in, in other... Yeah, in other places. places. Um, and I'm just wondering if he can, even if he's not playing in matches, can he still stay and, like, train and... Do the conditioning, right? Sure. I think that would depend. So, um, for example, in the NHL, since that's the sport I follow most closely, (laughs) there was an incident with a defenseman for the Los Angeles King, Slava Voinov, who was accused of beating his wife. Um, We've talked about him. I think we have, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, not to rehash our prior discussions about um, Slava Voinov, who now, I believe, is back playing in the KHL because he um, lost his... Well, nobody in the NHL really, I think, wanted to sign him because the Kings got a lot of bad press for trying to let uh, him practice, even though he was supposed to be suspended. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I don't know that the domestic violence laws are as strong in Russia as they may be here, which is saying a lot because they're not that great here. But anyway, the point of this story was there was an issue where the Kings let him practice and they got in trouble for uh, that. So I think those restrictions were dictated by the league. So it may be... Whatever La Liga says yeah, um, might be perfectly acceptable. Right. Um, and I don't know, I mean, since the all the European leagues are kind of in a confederation with, you know, the UEFA Cup and mm-hmm. Champions League and all oh, that, yeah. whether and there are some rules like there rules. that would bar him from um, being able to play in another country while he's under suspension in Spain. So transfer fees, I think I might have started talking about this earlier. <laughs> Um, transfer fees is actually just the right to obtain a player. That's not his salary. It feels really slave-like, though. I mean, obviously, we're talking about really rich people, so it's not quite. But you're selling humans. Yeah, you're selling the rights. Like. You're selling the rights to humans. Although in like our sports, we're just trading the rights to humans. I guess, <laughs> like, so. I guess that's true. You can't actually stop it. But. Yeah. So here you, we would say if you're trading players from one team to another, the other team assumes the contract that the player's currently um, you know, under. And if the player's not under contract, then he or she has a, the right to seek you know, another position in another team. It's called free agency. Um, in Soccer, the transfer fee, you pay these exorbitant fees for the right to then start negotiating with the player for how much you're going to end up paying them. And I can't remember, um, but, you know, some of these transfer fees are insane. Um, Yeah, I mean, they're... What was David Beckham's fee to go from Man U to Real Madrid? It was obscene. Yeah, I mean, it uh, is obscene. I also, Um, like, what if you just want to... Do they have trades in European f- football? No, I think it's, it's I think it's transfer cuz if otherwise they're on loan okay. as you said earlier. But there's yeah. never a situation where I could say like I I have David Beckham. I'm just picking famous people right mm-hmm. now. Like I have David Beckham. I am a I'm Real Madrid and I want, you know, Ronaldinho or something like 
he'll just come and play for us, and David Beckham will go and play for Barcelona yeah, the way I we don't do think things that, in I don't our think leagues. That works. Uh, huh. So David Beckham's transfer fee from uh, Man U to Real Madrid was 37.5 million euros, but this was in 2004, so I'm assuming that that was... We should adjust for inflation. Yeah, yeah I don't have that my inflation calculator. Uh, Ronaldo well, joined Real Madrid from Man U for 80 million euros. And it looks like Neymar, allegedly Neymar's um, transfer fee was 86.1 million euros. Yeah, so I think... Um, think Ronaldo's might be the largest um, transfer fee ever, 80 million euros. But, um, but yeah, it's, yeah, that, again, does not include his salary, <laughs> so. That's so crazy. It is crazy. The amount of money in um, professional soccer is nuts. Which is why it seems real weird that Stan Kroenke is not um, <laughs> structuring his team in no, not Liverpool. Arsenal to win. The it's, Red Sox owners own Liverpool. That's why they were on my... You mean mind. Arsenal? No. Oh, the Red Sox. Tars, yeah, was, yeah. Okay. Got it. Hmm. So, uh, that's Neymar. He could see jail time. He probably won't, um, but we'll see what happens to his playing career if he is found guilty of corruption and fraud. Uh, yeah, well, it's kind of a big deal. Um, probably pretty stressful. Um, so moving on to, I guess, our third topic. And these are really quick. Um, but uh, Michigan State University is suing ESPN um, over information related to uh, police reports. Um, so there were three players on the Michigan State University football team who were uh, probably dismissed from the team, or at least in other ways, punished for sexual assaults. Um, I don't know if they were criminally punished as well, but there are police reports um, about the crimes. And ESPN submitted a Freedom of Information Act request for these police reports and, um, and any other documents related to these three athletes. And Michigan State University has not complied with the Freedom of Information Act request, citing uh, basically, Ingham, Ingram County prosecutors do not know whether or not or when they're going to press charges against these three individuals. So they have said that we want to hold back this information until we determine whether or not to press charges. Um, so Michigan State University, I think, is like essentially filing a declaratory action to figure out whether or not they have to turn over these documents. So... Hmm. That's not super interesting, but... No, but that happens. It seems like that happens a lot with sort of these public agencies that are kind of middlemen um, or middle people, so to speak, that, you know, they may not have kind of a, a dog in the fight, but they just want someone to tell them what to do. Um, yeah, because what if they turn it over and then they get sued for, like, violating privacy rights right. or whatever, so... Uh, as, as Burke said, they're sort of stuck and they just kind of want a higher authority to tell them what to do so they can at least fall back on, we didn't do it willingly, we were forced to do it. Yeah, and I think you've, I mean, I, I've run into this issue with kind of, with some clients where, you know, they take the position like, we don't, we'll turn it over if we have to, but we just, you know, we don't want to be the ones making that decision, so somebody else, court tell us what we are obligated to do and then that way you've got the cover of a court order saying you have to do X um, which 
offer some comfort to to the people who are actually producing the documents yes. um, who don't necessarily want to be obstructionist but also don't want to get sued all of which makes some sense so um i kind of want to take back the largest transfer fee in the world um statement i made about <laughs> ronaldo so ronaldo was the largest at one point at i think 94 million euros it uh, gareth bale literally a few years later from the tottenham hotspurs my team to Real Madrid. Um, his transfer fee was 100 million euros, and I completely forgot about Paul Pogba, who went from uh, Juventus to Manchester United. His transfer fee was 105 million euros. So, um, yeah, I just want to make that real time correction. <laughs> nice, the corrections department's on top of things. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> um, I forgot about Gareth Bale. Yeah. Oh. I, mm-hmm. He still does his little heart symbol to his, uh, I think, girlfriend, Emma, every time he scores a goal. Nice. He's been injured recently, so not a whole lot of hearts going out to Emma. Um, And uh, in other ESPN-related news, uh, I don't know if people have noticed um, (laughs) some headlines in, you know, various uh, electronic media sites that are decrying that one of the anchors from ESPN's, one of their million sports centers was uh, laid off on her first day back from maternity leave and the obviously the um, headlines are pretty sensational you know uh, ESPN anchor fired from maternity leave or laid off from maternity leave and I just wanted to touch on that really briefly um, that laying someone off either on their first day back from maternity leave or laying someone off while they are on some sort of protected leave like family medical leave or in California it's the California Fair Sifra yes yeah, the California Fair something in employment act um I can't remember what the R is standing for anyways um, is not a per se unlawful thing to do um, as it has been widely reported she was not the only person laid off at ESPN. There were there was over a hundred people laid off during this time frame. California so, Family Rights Act. Oh, right. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Real time corrections today. Um, so we just, you know, I just wanted to make sure that our listeners were at least aware that yeah, while it's a really shitty thing to happen to her, it was also a really shitty thing that, that happened to the other ninety nine people, and it wasn't any more uh, terrible because she was coming back from maternity leave it's just bad timing and bad optics but yeah but not it's illegal per se i mean we don't know necessarily yeah. all the details behind why certain people were laid off and other people weren't i mean there may be a whole a bunch of reasons are lawful and unlawful but um they did seem to lay off a bunch of like over 40 year old white men so i feel like they're somewhat insulated from an accusation that they kind of picked and chose people based mm-hmm. on protected um characteristics so, yeah, and, and, you know, there was lots of discussion about the need for layoffs at ESPN because of, you know, subscription services and all of that stuff. So or it's... why the hell they kept Stephen A. Smith employed and got rid of people <laughs> like Andy Katz and Ed Werder and Pierre Lebrun, but whatever. Yeah, they pretty much, it sounds like, or from what I remember reading, they got rid of a ton of their hockey coverage. Yes. Yeah. Now... Uh, the relationship between ESPN and its coverage of hockey has been a, a subject of, for hockey fans, um, a lot of agitation for oh. decades at this point. The NHL used to have a contract with ESPN. Like, when I was in middle school and high school, 
That's hockey all. was yeah the NHL that was their broadcast partner. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, they were not making enough money, and they had this great show NHL Tonight on ESPN two um, that I would like tape on like a VHS tape and then watch the <laughs> next morning because I couldn't stay up that late. But anyway, um, when ESPN lost the rights to the NHL, their coverage really kind of fell off the cliff. But they did have some wonderful reporters, um, Scott Burnside. Pierre LeBron, as I mentioned, both of those um, fellows lost their jobs as part of the purge. Um, and, yeah, it just seems like, I mean, you know, hockey is a bit of a niche sport in the United States. It definitely falls behind, you know, the other big three mm-hmm. and NASCAR and college football and college basketball and all that. But, um, I don't know, it's still, like, it's a major sports league in this country. Yeah. And it seems like as the uh, worldwide leader... <laughs> ESPN should, you know, make a fucking effort to cover it, but they don't seem to be interested in doing that. So, yes, that's a really long answer to your short question of, did they kind of gut the the hockey hockey coverage? Mm -hmm. And it certainly seems that they have. Um, I know that uh, NBC Sports Network picks up, has picked up a lot of hockey coverage. Yes, so Mm -hmm. that's the NHL's current broadcast partner. They air most of the games on... um, NHL's sports net, or excuse me, NBC Sports Network, but then I think on Sundays they have like a game on NBC, the real, the real NBC, the the actual NBC. Um, But I don't think NBC Sports Network has Barry Melrose, right? No, Barry Melrose was with ESPN. Um, The NH, the NBC Sports Network has um, such luminaries as Mike Milberry and Jeremy Roenick. Oh, Jeremy Roenick, that's right. just not good. Um, you know, it's, I mean, I prefer, although I'm not, my cable is offensively expensive to begin with. Um, so I don't want to pay more money to get the NHL network, but, um, the, they pull a lot of coverage from Canadian, um, networks and they have people who actually, uh, you would want to listen to who have like smart thoughts about hockey, Mm -hmm. not blowhards. Like, Milbury and Roenick. Got it. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's unfortunate because I get it when you're not a hockey fan and you listen to these idiots blabbering on about dumb shit and calling <laughs> Sidney Crosby like Cindy Crosby. <laughs> maybe it's not something that you're interested in watching. Uh, Mike Milbury very famously referred to the Sedine twins who play for Vancouver as Thelma and Louise. He meant it to be an insult, but I was like, first of all, those two are badass ladies, so I'm not sure who you're offending here, and they die at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, so it's just the whole thing is really offensive. That is... Mike Milbury is also famous for throwing a shoe into the... He used to be the Boston Bruins coach, so I suppose I should have some love for him, but I don't. don't. Um, He took a shoe off and threw it into the stands to like hit fans with. It was pretty (laughs) ridiculous, but that was the 80s when the NHL was a real free-for-all, so... (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. Um, so that leads us to your... Right, so this has been mostly, um, a three-minute warning, but we can't go a week without the reality TV stoop, (laughs) and, um, so this week we're revisiting the ladies of the, um, Real Housewives of Atlanta again. Uh (laughs) They are, like, just a fountain of interesting... It's reunion time, and so, um, this is the first time they've ever had a four-part reunion on any of the Real Housewives, um, franchises, and one of the big controversies of this season has been um, that Portia Williams, who is the ex-wife of uh, former Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Cordell Stewart, 
Ooh, celebrity and sport or athlete. <laughs> well, yeah, and there's another woman on the show, Sheree Whitfield, who's married, who was married um, before he abandoned her and her family, um, to Bob Whitfield, who played for the Atlanta. I know he played for the Atlanta Falcons. I think he was mm. a journeyman in the NFL. Um, and former cast member Kim Zolciak Bierman is married to uh, Croy Bierman, who also used to play for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and why his name is Croy, like that's a fake name, stop. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to what happened this week. So Portia Williams um, had made accusations during the season that her castmate, Candy Burris, who is a very famous um, R&B, she was less famous as an R&B singer than she has been as a songwriter and producer. She worked, I think, most well, most famously with TLC. Mm. Um, Portia accused Candy Burris of wanting to drug her and take her home to Candy's sex dungeon um, to, I don't know what the plan was after they got back to the sex dungeon, but the story kind of uh, fell off from there. (laughs) Um, Candy, needless to say, did not take these allegations very well since uh, basically Portia is saying that she is a rapist. (laughs) Now, what is, uh, appears to be disclosed as part of the fourth Part of the reunion, which airs on Bravo tomorrow night. I am not being paid. <laughs> it's a fourth part? Yeah, four parts oh of the God. reunion. It's really intense. So on part four of the reunion, it comes out that Phaedra Parks, who is the attorney who got Candy's former assistant to sue her for FLSA okay. violations, is the source of the rape allegations. Oh. She apparently told Portia that um, Candy and her husband, Todd, his last name is evading me right now, but... Um, that Todd wanted to drug Portia and take her back to their house. Candy has also insisted that she does not have a sex dungeon in her home, <laughs> uh, but she does have a company called Candy Coated Nights that sells sex toys. So oh. that's where I think some of the allegations. Um, like, I, I'm thinking that I mean I don't want to even begin to assume I can get into Phaedra Parks's head, but um, given Candy's businesses, um, she may have come up with this fabricated story by basing it like a little bit in fact uh but candy basically said if i had a sex dungeon i would tell people about it that'd be really cool i don't have one um and portia said that was a lie except portia's never been to the sex dungeon she was not drugged or taken back anywhere so or i mean at least she wasn't drugged by candy during this season so um so um I so guess it's wacky. It but. is wacky, but I'm trying to come back around to what the potential legal implications would be. I mean, for... that would seem like libel, right? You're running around yeah. saying this woman is, uh, she and her husband have a plan to drug you mm-hmm. and rape you. I yeah. mean, that's... Or at least torture you sexually. Torture, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> Assault you, yes. Um, that seems like she would be able to sue her for some kind of libel i guess libel now i I should know this because i'm an attorney but libel is when you speak it slanders when you write it down right yes okay i have a puzzled look on my face which is why there is that weird pause but yeah i'm pretty sure that's what the the line is drawn between the um so like if you write a newspaper article um that makes false defamatory statements that would be slander i think as opposed to or is it the reverse all right so (laughs) slander is when you say something out loud libel is when you write it down yeah a published yeah libel is a published false statement which is so but would making these statements on tv count as publishing 
I think that it would. So she could be guilty of both libel <laughs> and slander. Yeah. Um, huh. Which, there goes her divorce settlement money from Cordell. That is Portia, crazy. Portia, Portia, Portia. <laughs> um, also, fun fact, Portia Williams' grandfather is a guy by the name of Hosea, Hosea Williams, yes, who was a huge um, figure in the civil rights movement and oh. worked with Martin Luther King. Interesting. Oh, to see how his family's <laughs> fallen. Um, but she, there was an episode this season where Portia and Phaedra, who go by the nicknames of frickin' Frack, um, <laughs> go to the, uh, they went to the Democratic National Convention, mm-hmm. and um, Portia cited all the work that her grandfather had done to support um, African-American people as a driving force behind her own activism, I'll be frank, seemed limited to going to the <laughs> DNC, but um, I don't know. She's she's an interesting character. She offers a lot of comic relief when she's not <laughs> accusing people, people of crimes they have not committed. Yes. So. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe she should stick to some of that other stuff. Um, you know, e- easily go. manipulated. <laughs> so. um, there is uh, one last, uh, sorry, I forgot before we got to reality the reality TV stoop. We can stand up from the stoop now, get out of the trash. <laughs> yes, and maybe you end on a pretty uplifting story, uplifting of sorts, your your Title IX story. Oh, yes. So the former athletic director from the University of Iowa, um, and I'm stumbling because I'm trying to find her name. Sorry, our preparation this week <laughs> has been a little suboptimal. Thank you for hanging in with us. Um, Jane Meyer. She won a verdict against the University of Iowa for gender and sexual orientation discrimination, whistleblower violations, and unequal pay um, in the uh, amount of $1.43 million. So, um, excuse me, Ms. Meyer, she was a senior associate athletic director, so not the uh, head honcho. Um, she raised issues with the university um, about concerns about the treatment of women and um, lesbians at the University of Iowa, that they were treated differently and worse than their male or um, heterosexual counterparts. Um, and then she got fired. <laughs> so, you know, uh, needless to say, if you have somebody who's raising complaints about discrimination um, or harassment, or harassment, kicking them out the doors, not the best option ill-advised um we're not providing legal advice no this is this is just common this should be common sense but common sense is not so common said voltaire i think um then uh you know things according to meyer she started working at iowa in 2001 um she was hired as the senior women's administrator under bob bowlesby um, she was the second in command in that department and was given great performance reviews and then about five years a guy named gary uh, five years later, a guy named Gary Barda um, became the athletics director. He kept Meyer on, but um, they did not get along very well. In um, 2011, Barda made comments that he wasn't comfortable having Meyer represent the department during media inquiries about there was a um, like an infectious disease outbreak amongst football players. Um, so he didn't want her. And it's, locker rooms are yeah, locker rooms are cool. <laughs> um, so then in 2013, Barta decided that he was going to create a deputy position in his department and told Meyer he did not consider her a qualified candidate. Um, he then hired a man by the name of Gene Taylor and paid him $70,000 more than uh, Meyer, even though she had been at the university longer and appears to have been quite as qualified as 
this other yes, guy was. And had positive performance evaluations and um, all of that. And she objected to this hiring, uh, both because she some of her most kind of critical duties were taken away from her, and there was a, obviously a significant pay disparity. Um, in 2014, Meyer gave Barta a memo detailing her concerns about um, gender discrimination. And the next day, she was reassigned to another program at the university outside of the athletics department. Again, ill-advised. Yeah, this is just... Basically, if you want a case study for like what not to do when you have someone who's raising concerns about um, treatment of people who are in protected classes, this would, this would be it. Um, I wonder if Gary Barta still has his job. Uh, Gene. No, Gary, you're right. Yeah. It's Gene. Um, so... In any event, the story kind of goes on from there. She leaves the university um, and sues uh, and has subsequently won almost a million and a half dollars for her trouble, which I think sends a really strong message that um, you can't treat people like this. There's There are protections in the law for folks who are in marginalized communities, and you need to abide by them, um, even if it makes you uncomfortable or... Makes, or it forces you to ask really difficult questions, you know? Um, so to break down her, you know, almost million and a half dollars, she mm-hmm. was awarded $374,000 for back pay, $444,000 for past emotional distress, and $612,000 for future emotional distress. I think um, the story actually doesn't end there because her attorneys are seeking over $2 million in legal fees, and under Iowa law, it permits the jury to find um, triple the back pay. Triple the back pay. Also called treble damages. <laughs> <laughs> if the school's actions are found to be willful. Or no, since the actions were found to be willful. Um, and not to say this is in fairness to the school, but we've, um, in our line of work, there was a case that came out pretty recently. I guess actually it's not so recent at this point. Oh, um, the, the Fresno State one? No, I was oh. thinking of um, the definition of willful um, in the Flores versus San Gabriel oh. case where the judge, um, so it was a case about like how to pay people overtime, but it seemed as though the judges in the Ninth Circuit came up with a really tortured um, understanding of what the term willful meant, where it was basically... Anyway, it seemed willful was basically in that case. Um, I should not be talking off the top of my head about this, but it did seem like the way that they defined willful was because they didn't actively seek legal counsel about whether the way they were paying overtime was correct, even though like everyone had been paying like that for mm-hmm. ages. It was a willful violation, which seems to be like the flip of when you would think willful means you're actively trying to do something wrong yeah um, where you know you would seek legal advice and be like no i'm not going to do it yeah, the way i'm going to ignore you, you. exactly and yeah. i'm still going to do it this way um so in any event i don't know how the term willful is defined under this particular law in iowa because um, this was a state law case um it was a jury in polk county iowa that found this way which I find interesting about Iowa because they this seems to be a really progressive decision, but then they have a congressman like Steve King who, yeah, doesn't think people of color should like be American citizens. So I'm gonna chalk it up to the fact that like Steve King is one person, whereas this nice pool of jury members is you know Maybe twelve. Representative yeah, of the state. exactly. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so that's our uh, hot takes for the week. Yeah. Um, 
if you want to get in contact with us, and we really do encourage everyone to send us an email, please rate us on iTunes, please, um, or follow us on social media. Um, at Instagram, it's UFR underscore BG. Um, also, same handle on Twitter. You can reach us at underfurtherreview.bg at gmail.com, um, which is our email address. And then you can check out our website, underfurtherreview-bg.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully we'll be back with you um, in not too long. And maybe there will be some more things that happen as opposed to sort of these smaller stories this week. Right. Let's come on athletes. Let's, let's <laughs> commit some big crimes. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what we've got. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.